The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Uh, but this is part of the last part of our series, Ask the Pastor. Uh, these were questions that someone in the congregation, a real breathing person somewhere beside you, asked the question. And we've taken the three most popular the last several weeks. We've looked at, is God a God of wrath? Uh, we had guest speaker a couple weeks ago. Last week, does baptism save? And this week, is homosexuality a sin? Folks, this is a tough topic. Uh, I realize this is not just an easy thing you walk into, you, you go through, but I pray this morning that as we go through this, that you will learn not only where we stand biblically, but how you can reach out practically. That's our prayer. So Genesis chapter 1. Uh, what I'll do first off, uh, go ahead and have Amy sl- flip that slide, is many of you know this, but um, my alma mater, William Jewell, just about 10 miles up the road, had a, had a struggle of identity about 13 years ago. Uh, William Jewell in the fall of 2003 had a great debate on campus. I was a sophomore at the time. It's should the college adopt homosexuality as a lifestyle choice for certain members of certain organizations, including Christian organizations? Tough topic. Tough topic. And this was debated all throughout the fall of 2003. Some of you may remember this. This was all over the media, the Kansas City Star. It was it was through uh, local Christian schools struggling with these very things. And It came to a head in December of 2003 when a vote was taken by the student body. Do we adopt homosexuality as a lifestyle choice for leaders, especially of Christian organizations? And William Jewell uh, at this time was very moderate or or perhaps very liberal in where they viewed things. And the vote was passed in the student senate to adopt this. But by God's grace, I had a good friend, Tim is his name. I won't say his last name or the internet, but I will say this. Tim was the president of the Senate, and he was a a Bible-believing Christian, and he stopped it. He vetoed it and said no. And I can tell you that my friend Tim had some of the toughest two or three weeks of his life because people who claimed to be Christians said, how in the world can you do that? That is not your right to do that. You are just a student Senate. You're not a pastor. But he came back and said, look, I believe as a Christian I stand this way. And friends, I will tell you, he was vilified for the next six months. Very, very tough. Some of you may, does anyone remember this that went on? A few hands went up. Uh, This was all over the news. Actually, he made national news for his veto of this. And uh, Jewel, of course, eventually adopted that view, but it goes to show you that the the topic before us is nothing new. It's, It's been around for ages. But I can remember at that time thinking, Lord, this is such a tough topic. How do we handle this? I know where the scripture stands, but Lord, how do we handle this? Friends, it's one of the most common and significant charges against our faith is simply that the traditional Christian understanding of sexuality and marriage is damaging. You may have been a part of those conversations. They say that denying someone's sexuality is to denying who the person really is. And there is some truth to that, even secularly. But some people say that we should repress our thoughts. But where do we stand on this as Christians? Where should we stand? You know, I'm grateful the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2. You'll see the verse come up on the screen here. It'll say, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And and reprove, rebuke, exhort. And here's the key phrase. With complete patience and teaching. 
Friends, every decision by a church to endorse homosexuality can be traced to a decision to deny this very word, the inerrancy, the inspired word of God. It's difficult to exaggerate with all seriousness how seriously the Bible treats the sin of sexual immorality. Not just homosexuality, but many things. Sexual sin is never considered a matter of indifference or you, that's your view, that's my view, we'll agree to disagree. It's not like that. It is, to the contrary, precisely the sort of sin that characterizes those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven, quite frankly. So this morning, our big questions are simply, is homosexuality a sin? I think if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you know this thing to be true. But what are some common arguments against the Bible? How do you defend your faith against where our culture stands today? And how can you as a Christian respond? How can our church respond biblically to this? And I, the, the, the faith lesson or the big idea is simply this today. It's up there for you. If homosexual sin is beyond the reach of the gospel that we preach, then we're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we could put any sin up there. I just want to let you know that. Alcoholism, you could put lusting, you could put gluttony, you could throw anything out there. If the gospel is not able to reach the uttermost of sin, then folks, we don't have a gospel. We have a, just a religion, but thankfully we have a God who's there. In the end, we're not just trying to fight a culture where we're trying to get people saved. Do you believe that? While we never want to minimize sins that keep us from God, we want to magnify the one who brings us to God. And his name is Jesus, and he came for sinners of all kinds, and we must keep that message central. So what's our three lessons today? Simply this. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the overview of the Bible. I told you to have your Bible ready. We're going to read all the verses, yes, all the verses that deal with homosexuality in the Bible, because many people have never read them. Four common objections that come up. And finally, what is at stake as we debate this passage as we go through. What's the practical takeaway? Friends, I will, I've asked all the people praying this morning, Mark and the, the men, to pray. This is a tough topic to bring up. You have to assume that anyone and everyone is listening, both here and on the internet. Every sort of person is listening. And so you would say, Pastor, what advice would you give to me to speak on this? I would just simply say this. Remember, every person is listening. This is a weighty matter. That's the catch. And perhaps I'm speaking to three people here today. Three C's. Perhaps you're convinced already. You know what the Bible teaches, and you're, you just want to reaffirm those beliefs. Maybe that's where you are. You're convinced. We'll call you the traditional viewer, or where I would fall there, too. Maybe you come and you say, Pastor, I do not agree with you. I, I'm contentious. I'm not convinced. I'm contentious. I'm pretty sure we'll disagree, but perhaps you've read our church blog or heard other things. But most of you today may simply be the third C. You may be confused. Those may be wondering, well, I hear these new arguments against the Bible, and they sound so good, or I have friends, and I follow on Facebook or social media tweets, and people are changing their mind on this issue, people who claim the name of Christianity. What is wrong with that? Maybe you're part of this confused group that says someone riding on the fence, and, or you have people who you know. Friends, most of us in this room know someone who is homosexual or gay or, or falls in the LGBT camp. How do you deal with that? That's what I want to hopefully address today. We don't have time to address everything, I'll be honest with that, but I hope to hit the main points. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. First point is going to be our reading. So let's pray. As we go before the Lord today, would you pray that God would open up our hearts and minds to solidify the convinced, to show forth the contentious to know Christ, and to solidify the confused as well. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we, before we read our scripture. Father, this is a weighty matter. Father, sin is a weighty matter. Any sin is a weighty matter. For, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. 
And yet, Lord, in that holiness, you have reached down to us to send forth your Son, born of a virgin under the law, lived perfectly under the law so that we might see the example of him. But also, Father, that when Christ died on that cross, that he absorbed perfectly your wrath. It was satisfied. It was extinguished. And that great exchange took place. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, and he rose again, your son did literally, bodily three days later, and ascended on high, and is coming again. Father, we pray in that name, in Christ's name, the name that's above all names, that you give us great wisdom this morning. Father, this is not about winning a moral victory in America. Father, though that is a prayer. Father, it is about knowing what your scripture says, because that is the most important thing we're here to do today, is to study your word. Father, whether we're convinced, we're contentious, or whether we're confused, help us to know where we stand, clearly, through your spirit, by your grace. Would your spirit come and do that for us today, we pray, for your name and in your name, Jesus' name, amen. Not going to have you stand for this. This will be a lot of reading, but would you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. We're going to read through several passages. Folks, it will take a few minutes. It will take a few minutes. Uh, it'll probably take five to seven. But I'm going to start in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm going to be reading off my notes for sake of turning just to make it a little more smooth. You're welcome to stand for the reading of God's word. If you can, if you cannot, it will be five to seven minutes. I understand it's a lot of standing. If you're able to, great. If not, I completely understand it is a long passage that we'll go through. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the flesh, or I'm sorry, the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You will go over just a chapter, Genesis 2.18, Genesis 2.18, and I'll be reading through verse 25. Then the Lord God said, it is good that is not good, rather, that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that's what its name was. The man, verse 20, gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was found no suitable helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up, it closed up its place with its flesh. And verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I'm going to ask you to go to Leviticus. Now, we're going to skip Genesis 19 for sake of reading. We'll get there a little later. Go to Leviticus, a few books down, chapter 18, verse 19. Leviticus 18, 19 through 23. Give just a second to get there. And the Bible says this. Go to verse 23. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanliness or uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. Shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 
and you shall not lie with any animal so as to make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall a woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is a perversion. Notice the increasing seriousness as that goes through. And go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Leviticus 20, verse 13. And after this, I'll have you guys sit down. As I know, it's a lot of standing. After this, we'll have you sit for the, the New Testament readings. It says in verse 13, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Would you guys be seated? We have some lengthy passages to go through. Thank you for this. It's a lot of standing and sitting. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. Romans 1, 21 through 32. New Testament book, right after the Acts of the Apostles. Paul says this. For although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of God for the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their body among themselves. Because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women, women and were con- consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. And since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Verse 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's decree, those who practice such things deserve, deserve to die. They do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Two more sections. Go one book over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul says, And do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Last section, we'll kind of close this first point. First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1. And if you need to use the index in the front, please feel free. No shame in that. We're just a few books over in First Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10. First Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10. And these are up on the screen. If you want to take notes for later to write these down, those are on the screen for you for future reference as well. And Paul says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. 
I am just very curious as we move on. How many have read all of those verses before uh, in context or on this topic, not on this topic, just in curious, most of the hands go up. I've never been a part of a sermon that has used all of those at once. I wanted you to see where we get these passages because they will become so foundational as we move through this question, is homosexuality a sin? And friends, uh, there's three words I think that can sum up all, all these. And we can move through our first point like this. First thing is this. The first C I'll give you, another C is creation. Creation. God has a divine design to be together. I think it's very clear as you read those passages that man is to be with woman and woman is to be his helper. That's Genesis 2 and Leviticus 19. And in Romans 1, that lengthy section, we heard the constant echoes of the creation account that from the very beginning, God established the language that there is one man and one woman, that it's not to be in the likeness and image of flying things. You know, Romans 1 tells us the sin is not just that they've committed sexual perversion, but they have worshipped the creature rather than the creator. That's the whole idolatry part. But Paul brings it back through all the New Testament, this very fact that creation, since the very beginning, God has established one man and one woman in a lifetime of marriage to be in that thing. This next word is, uh, you could say, complementary or complementarity. Woman was taken from man in summary, and when they are together, it is a union and a reunion, so to speak. How so, Pastor? Well, a reunion meaning that this woman was made for this man. Genesis 2.18 literally uses the phrase, he was fit for him. God found one that was most similar to the man, Adam, not an animal, and he found one that was dissimilar to fulfill the earth and all that God had for them to procreate. This is why Malachi 2.15 says, did he not make them one, that's Adam and Eve, with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Through the prophets, through the Old Testament, through the law, through the New Testament, we see one pattern is that man and woman were meant to be together. No more, no less. And friends, there's consistency. Did you notice that? Aren't you grateful that the Bible isn't just a haphazard throwing together of verses that don't make sense? The theme from the start to the end is that we have sounded the same note. We have struck the same chord. Even liberal scholars, and I won't quote them for you, but even liberal scholars have to admit that the Bible is so clear on the condemnation of homosexuality as a sin that there's no wiggle room around it. There's no positive argument from Scripture that can be made for homosexuality, friends. Only texts that show they should mean something else when someone misinterprets them. So, well, Darren, you're picking on homosexuality, aren't you? Actually, no. There are eight lists of sins that we read through or we read a couple of them, but there's eight in the New Testament that list the sins, the vices. And do you realize that sexual immorality are listed of seven of those eight in the New Testament? In fact, it's not just the number of verses that we have, it's the intention of the Scripture. You would be hard-pressed to find any mention of sin more frequently than sexual sin inside the Scriptures. But when the Bible uniformly and unequivocally says the same thing about a serious sin, it seems, though, that a lot of people today in Christian churches want to make a third way for it. That is, in a church, an organization, wherever, to be for the sin and other people to be against the sin. Friends, history demonstrates that we can't have halfway houses as Christians. Every doctrine central to our Bible that we believe and have believed for millennia 
and are precious to you have been hotly debated. If the conversation about the resurrection or the Trinity or the two natures of Christ continued as long as smart people disagreed, we would have lost the Bible a long time ago. And a grateful God has brought this together. What I'm simply saying this is all of these third ways regarding homosexuality end up the same way. A behavior that does not, is not accepted in the Bible. Agree to disagree sounds like a humble meet you in the middle, doesn't it? Sometimes we do that in our marriages. It will, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. Friends, no one would think of proposing a third way if the sin was racism or if the sin was human trafficking. I think you would agree with that. Faithfulness to the word of God compels us to view sexual immorality with the same seriousness. Living in an ungodly life contrary to sound teaching that defines Christianity. Darkness must not be confused with light. Grace must not be confused with license. Unchecked sin must not be confused with the good news of justification by faith alone and Christ alone apart from the law. Let's be honest here. Of course, homosexuality isn't the only sin in the world nor is it the most critical one to be addressed in every church context. Trust me, there are even greater sins to be addressed. But if 1 Corinthians 6 is right, and we believe it is, it's not an overstatement to say that approving same-sex behavior, like supporting any type of sexual immorality, pornography, bestiality, runs the risk of leading people straight to the gates of hell, if I can say it that way. Scripture often warns us in the severest terms against finding our sexual identity apart from Christ and pursuing it in any other way. Friends, when we tolerate a doctrine that affirms homosexual behavior, we are tolerating a doctrine that leads people further away from the kingdom of God. And I know, as a church, that's not our prayer. This is hardly a missional leadership or kingdom Christianity I wrote. And I'm reading some of this verbatim because I want to be clear in my words. According to Jesus, it's repentance for sexual immorality, not tolerance of it, which leads to human flourishing. See Revelation 2 in his, uh, his letter to the, the church there. Christians who get this fundamental point confused are not liberating people a third way, but they're being deadly to them with their sin. Friends, I hope you see from the scriptures that homosexuality is a sin. That's a very easy thing. Most of you are in the convinced camp. But what does this mean? Some of you come here and you say, well, Darren, I believe that, but there's a lot of good arguments out there. Let's go to the second point. This is not how we normally do sermons here at Tower View. It's a topical sermon. But I just want to go through some objections with you from the Scripture that we see that come up. First one is this. Someone says, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say much. It doesn't say that much, not that much at all, about homosexuality, Right? Didn't Jesus, I mean, come on, Pastor, didn't G Jesus never talked about this issue? Well, that's good. The reason the Bible says very little about this topic is because it's universally, universally across the board, understood among ancient peoples that it was a sin. No evidence that the Jews or Christians ever tolerated this can be found in history. In fact, the Bible says a lot about sins. Paganism, idolatry, you mention it. And, uh, and here's the other thing, bestiality, incest, child abuse. The Bible speaks less about these than many other things. But it doesn't mean it isn't true or shouldn't be followed. Friends, counting up the number of verses and having a, well, I have 100 verses here for this and 200 verses here for that is not the best way to be able to discern whether or not something is a sin. Would you agree with that? Parents, if you thought that every time you told your kids that you had to tell them 200 times before it became wrong for them to do, boy, we've got the wrong job as parents, don't we? We really do. It's not that the Bible's silent on this issue. It's condemned throughout. Not to mention the text that marriage is between one man and one woman. 
What about Jesus then? This is a classic liberal argument from, the, from theology people. Well, Jesus never talked about it directly, therefore it must not be true. Friends, it is not obscure or isolated. Matthew 19, among many verses, Jesus reaffirmed the account of marriage as between one man and one woman. And he also condemned the sin of pornea. You get that phrase where that leads pornography today? And every other kind of sexual sin, when he used that word pornea, Jesus didn't have to say much because it wasn't something that was to be debated, even back then. All his listeners understood that same-sex and less common expressions of sexuality were off-limits for Jews and therefore Christians by extension. Friends, a lot of people say it's not mentioned that much. Jesus affirmed it. He affirmed it's a sin. He affirmed one man, one woman for a lifetime. Another objection you hear is this. People come up and say, well, Darren, it's just not the same. The way they did homosexuality back in Jesus' time is not the same way they do homosexuality today in 21st century America. So have you ever heard that before? It's a less frequent argument, but it's out there. Some say the Bible only knew about a bad view of homosexuality. They say they didn't know about the long-term committed relationships of today, not anything like today. There's at least seven reasons. I won't go through them all. But friends, here's the thing. The argument from silence, the Bible never makes a distinction between homosexuality then and homosexuality any time in the future. I am grateful that God's word was just not for a set time and a set people, that it is God's word forever. Amen? That is what we believe. Second, it's rooted, a reason this is not true, it's not the same, is it's rooted in the created order. Leviticus didn't draw just a specific line in, in, in for those Jewish people. It was a line for all time until God sent forth the Savior. It's from the created order. And in Romans 1, we have those same echoes. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1, Paul actually makes his own Greek word. Paul had the authority to do that as an apostle. He makes two words in the Greek. He chooses one word from Leviticus, and he chooses another word um, from another part of the Old Testament. Uh, and basically, he takes these two words, arson and kotai in the, in the Hebrew, and he puts them together. And many of your Bibles, as you read through 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, did anyone have the word homosexuality listed in your Bible? Some of, some of your all hands go up. Newer translations have it. Friends, Paul was very clear that this is not just an old thing that's going to pass away. God, in his inspired word, created this for the rest of time. You know, and someone will say, well, the Bible is just not the same. Well, Romans 1, did you read through it? Hear that. It's talking about the same passion people had for same-sex relationships then as the same passion people have now you know some people say that you know it's it's just all about you know god's word just doesn't mention anything did you hear that word in romans paul used the word exchange how many times they exchange the truth for a lie they exchange unnatural relations for natural ones paul was writing a broad brush but friends paul went on to say that it's contrary to nature it was common among those who Opposed same-sex marriage to say this is not opposed to nature. Paul says through the inspired word of God that it is. Friends, it's not the same as as a cop-out. It is the same. Sin has been the same. Think about it this way. Are you saying that lying is not the same from two, three thousand years ago that it is today? Boy, if anything, it's gotten worse. Would you agree with that? It's gotten a ton worse. That's another argument. What's the third? People say, well, it's not that big a deal. Pastor, you know, it's not that much different. It's not the same. It's not that big a deal. I mean, after all, Pastor, people will say, we're all broken. Why focus here? Again, why can't we just agree to disagree? Friends, if I can restate this beating drum, it is very difficult to see how the Bible can be taken apart from this. Agree to disagree isn't 
a compromise. It communicates the traditional position that we hold as Christians is wrong. No one would propose a different way for any other sin except this because it's a very cultural, hot-button issue. Someone will say, well, isn't the church a place for broken people? Yes. It is okay to not be okay here, but a place where we don't lift up the cross and we don't preach the word and share it lovingly but boldly is a place where Jesus Christ is not welcome and is not king. Friends, when we say it's not a big deal, then we take, have to rip out like Thomas Jefferson did. Many of you have heard that illustration. I think I've shared it before. The Jefferson Bible, he took out anything that talked about God's wrath or God's judgment. It's in the Smithsonian called the Jefferson Bible. He literally ripped out pages, and he had about a fourth of what the Bible had. Friends, we can't do that. The, God says it's a big deal. We must take it as a big deal. And someone will also say, lastly, another common objection is it's, it's not fair. Christian, how can you say no one chooses to be this way? I was born this way. Ha, have you consigned people like me then to loneliness, Pastor? Why would God want me to be miserable when I embrace these desires? You know, in almost all cases of uh, people uh, dabbling with sin, most people have a trial period, don't they, before choosing their lifestyle. Friends, let me just be very clear. Scientifically, there's no evidence of being born gay, but let's just say there was. Let's just say that, for instance, it comes out that it's agreed across the platform that it is, and it's not. But let's just say this. Friends, we believe in the doctrine of original sin. Many of you know what this is. It's that no matter who you are, what you've done, that you are born into sin. So whether you are born a certain way or born this way, you all are born with what in us? With sin. The problem is still there. It doesn't get rectified just because you're born a certain way. It wouldn't do much to change the fact. Uh, whether we said an unnatural level, if Paul said if it was anger or a temper or rage or alcoholism, it wouldn't change the fact that we need a Savior. And thank God he sent Jesus Christ. We aren't making light of the burdens people bear. We know this is a very real issue. We know this affects very real things. But friends, we must elevate the gospel. We must elevate Christ. We don't want to make light of difficulties, but sins aren't made acceptable because you feel that it's right. If I can say it that way. Let's move on to the second point, or last point. What's at stake in this debate? What is at stake? You say, you say Darren, I'm here today, and I, I hear you. I, I really do. I mean, it's clear the Bible condemns this, but what's at stake as Christians? Well, so let me give you, we're in with three application points here. We're going to look at the broad brush, all Christians over all time, what's at stake? Then we're going to look at our church, some practical things we can do to, to, uh, to stand biblically but be, be uh, ministering at the same time. Then some things that you can do as a Christian. Very tough issue. But some will say, well, how can I tell them? You know, Darren, this is a real issue. It's not just a mind game. These are faces, Darren, with real people. And I get that. As I prayed through this week how to address this, friends, please believe me that I have friends who are homosexual gay, mostly from college times, some from work before. Many of you have family members. Friends, this, this affects every level of who we are. But there are two things at stake, at least broadly, with Christians. There's more, but for sake of time, I'll hit two. First thing is this, from all Christians everywhere, what's at stake if we deny this is a sin? First is the authority of the Bible. Friends, there are no true evangelical churches embracing and approving homosexual behavior. Did you catch that? There are no true churches who are approving this behavior. There are churches doing this, but friends, they're not true churches. To come to this place to approve of this can only be accomplished on a liberal view of the Bible. Friends, again, these are difficult issues. I don't say this condescendingly. I don't say this from a point of whatever, but these are complicated and personal issues, but we must be clear. 
We can't chart our course by what feels better or theology of what makes us look nicer to the culture. Friends, we can't keep our Bibles closed on this issue. Let God be true and every man a liar. Isn't that what Paul said? Let us be like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11. Many of you know the scripture. We must search daily to see if this is so. The Bereans heard the words of Paul. It was very strange. They, they heard these words of Paul. They were very uh, adept to the scriptures. And the, Acts 17, 11 says they search the scriptures daily. Friends, we must know the Bible better than to set aside specific verses with general themes. We can't settle for platitudes or sweeping statements that sound good on social media or Facebook or a soundbite on the evening news. We must stand boldly, but with all love and grace on the word of God on this issue. Friends, if we deny this is a sin, we, we can take out anything we want in the scriptures. Why come to church? Why try? Because, friends, if we lose this one point of scripture, just like any sin that we would take out, we lose the authority of the Bible. Second thing I think that Christians everywhere lose if we say this is not a sin, we lose the grand narrative, the great story of the scripture, the whole story of the Bible. Aren't you grateful that a holy God sent his holy son to die an atoning sacrifice for an unholy people such as us so that by the Holy Spirit we can enjoy holy lives with him together in the holy place that is the new heaven and the new earth. Friends, aren't you grateful for that? We talk about the gospel here so much. That is what we believe. Is this a story to celebrate in all the churches? Is this celebrated at a welcoming and an affirming church for, that, that says homosexuality is true? It can't be. Because you'd have to take out the fact that if this is not a sin, then Paul himself is wrong. And if Paul himself is wrong, take out three-fourths of the New Testament. Friends, we must face the indictment that God's word levies against those who practice such things. No, it's no little thing to encourage and support what downplays our fellow image bearers created in God's word and belittles God. Again, this is not just simply an opinion about when Jesus is going to come back. Look, you may believe Jesus is going to come back before and be raptured out. You may believe Jesus comes in the middle. You may believe Jesus comes at the end of Revelation. Figure that one out and let me know. Because I'm not, you, you let me know. Friends, there's good sides in all those things. But it is how we as a church follow Christ. This is about how we will steer people at the most practical levels of choices they make and not into sexual immorality. We have to be very sober in this role to guide people to what is truth. When a church feels that something they can have two opinions on, such as homosexuality, then they are missing the extreme seriousness of this. It means we're steering our young people. Do you realize how many teenagers you struggle with identity with this? To act on the sin. We are steering them to what is sexual immorality or guiding them in, an, in, a, in a completely different way away from the scriptures. God must have a depth of grief that when we who serve him send people to sexual immorality. Can you think about that? This is why this issue is more than just sexual orientation and homosexuality. It is about the scripture. It is about the character of God. It's about what we think about who God is and who God isn't. There's no innocent bystanders here, friends. There isn't. Only Jesus can save a wretch like me, and I'm grateful for that because all sin have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, the gracious gift of him is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the best news we'll ever hear. What about our church? Let me give you five quick points. What about our church? What should be our response? And let me clarify these as I go through. You'll see a word up there. You're like, whoa. Let me clarify these. I'm sure there's much more that can be said than these five things I'm going to bring to you. But as a starting place, I believe our church should make these five commitments to those struggling with same-sex attraction and their family and everything else. First, welcome. Pastor, you just said 
That's not the truth. Let me clarify. We will extend to those the same sexuality, maybe someone in this room, I don't know, the same grace we extend to others. We're glad to see that someone of that orientation is in our church. We are, they're not a project. They're not a proof of anything, but they're another person created in God's image. Thank you for coming. That is our response as a church, first and foremost. Thank you for coming through the door. Church, can you think of the opposite response? We say, no, no, no. Look, there's a lot of practicalities that come out of that. Can they serve as a church? No. There's a lot of things restrictive on their behavior in serving in the church. But let me tell you this. If we're not welcoming sinners in this church, no matter what stripe they come in, friends, then we should all go home right now. Second thing is this, friendship. We want to do more than just show a friendly face. Yes, you're welcome. But we want you, like every other person in the church, if they're of same sex to find friends. We all need companionship. We all need accountability. We need people to bear our burdens and people to pray through them biblically and gospel-centeredly. Because third, friends, our church should respond in welcome friendship and truth. We will preach the Bible. We will not fudge on any of the hard parts. I hope you've gotten that about uh, what we do here. We will try to let the glorious parts shine through and the scary parts do their work as well. We will strive in our own lives, as we all should, to embrace the whole counsel of God's word, no matter how dangerous, no matter how difficult, or no matter how pop- unpopular. Friends, we will stand on the truth of God's word by, by welcoming and, and showing Jesus-like compassion at the same time. The fourth thing our church needs to stand on is the gospel. The gospel. We will sing about it. We will speak about it. We will share about it as we can about the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. We will tell it to those of same-sex sin. We will tell it to any sinner. And we may need them to tell it to us at times to remind us of the grace of Christ. Friends, everyone needs forgiveness, and we need that forgiveness. So we will share the gospel boldly. We won't get it right all the time at this church. The pastor will make mistakes. Can you believe that? I know it's hard for you to believe, but really, we will. But our goal is as much at the same time as we can be to be a truth, a place of truth and grace, of gospel peace. Friends, we're going to be a church of hope. Pray this for our church. We believe in the one who breaks the power of canceled sin. We believe in the one who is all about life change. We believe in eternal life. We have a belief that we can be washed and restored and that we can be a new creation in Christ. Praise God, we believe we are not yet what we will be one day. And friends, if you're a Christian here today, you came out of sin the same. If I'm not mistaken, these should be the commitments of every church everywhere, of every time, no matter what the sin or what the person. Do you see that balance? We're not holding the truth away. We're not throwing the truth away, but we are walking prayerfully, biblically, in a certain path that our church should take. What about you as a Christian? Let's end here. Seven quick things. That's a lot of points in a sermon, isn't it? Diana's running out of paper up front. What's a Christian to do? What do you do if you have friends or family members, coworkers, a son or a daughter, adopted son? I, I don't know, fill in the blank. So many relationships. First, I want you to know this. Trust in Jesus' power to help you, help you as a Christian. You know as well as I do, it can be intimidating, can it, to share the gospel with anybody. As with anyone we share the gospel, the fear of man is a snare, according to Proverbs. So rather than getting entangled with the fear, we must hope in Jesus' strength and not in our adequacy to bring the message. We must drink deeply from the well of the gospel so that when we share with anyone, whether they are homosexual or whether they are a drunkard, whether they are just the normal, perfect house with the two cars, 3.5 kids, and, and have the perfect life, whatever that is, 
that we would have the power needed to be witnesses for Christ. What about secondly? Hold up Christ as ultimate in your life as you share the gospel. Tell a person, no matter what sin they are in, what they identify, I am, fill in the blank, that the greatest identity you can have is that Christ is supreme. Christ is ultimate. Christ is the one. While we never want to minimize the sins that keep us from God, we want to magnify the one, Christ, who brings us to God. Jesus came for sinners of all kinds, and again, we must keep that message central. Third, how do you reach out to someone like who's in homosexuality or any sexual sin? Friends, you need to have gospel-centered compassion and conviction. Some have let, laid aside God's clear teaching in a misguided attempt to show God's love. Parents, you know this especially. Love stripped of truth is not love but deceit. I think you know that as parents or grandparents. It's a grave sin against both God and man to have that. But friends, we need to have Jesus-like conviction while also having Jesus-like compassion to speak the truth in love. We need to share what the Bible says about homosexuality. Doesn't mean you have to get a big sign with a bullhorn and, and stand up at your, your cube. If you work in a cube farm at the work and you stand in your cubicle and say, my pastor said, no, it's not what your pastor said. Sit down. You don't need to do that. But it does mean that you need to warn about the terrible judgment about those who reject Christ. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Explain the great cost in following Christ as well as the great hope of forgiveness and freedom for those who do. And if you're a Christian, you've experienced that. Fourth thing is this. Keep the local church central in all that you do. Jesus said people will know we're disciples by our love for one another. Friends, we have prayed for this church for the last several months through Philippians that we would be a church that's connected to the gospel. Would you pray that? That as you build relationships with gay friends, gay family members, gay co-workers, invite them into your life that they may hear the gospel. But also let them see it portrayed through the life of your local church. The way you act here on Sunday morning and you share in relationship here is a witness to the folks out there no matter what sin they may be entangled with. Fifthly, and this is kind of goes without saying, but I want to mention it. Assist with any questions someone may have. There are always objections before the gospel comes through. I bet you, none of you, maybe this happened to you, but most of you, if you're a Christian, had some objections to Christianity before you became a Christian. Can I have a witness? Don't do that at this church very often, but can I have a witness? Amen. A lot of people did that. Friends, you will have objections, but God calls you to give a defense of your hope, 1 Peter 3.15. Part of our calling as ambassadors for Christ are to work through those hard questions like those that God's word has answer to. And if you're unsure about how to respond, and often I'm unsure about how to respond, humbly say, that's a really great question. Can I get back to you and can we work with this together? You'd be amazed at that difference. Uh, we were sharing before about um, just how we were talking before the services just about how sometimes it just gets so, this issue, it's amazing what a calm but conviction and compassionate response can have towards someone when you share this gospel. Six, and this goes for anybody, pray and have patience. Pray and have patience. Woo! Have patience with them. God had patience with you. Take the long view of evangelism. Many of you are praying for people that need to come to Christ, should have come to Christ years ago. Would you continue to pray for them? It's rare to share God's word with someone and for them to believe right away. It does happen, but it is more rare. And friends, trust in God's power to save. When you talk, especially to someone who's of a same-sex persuasion orientation, you are not just getting them to become straight. Friends, it is not just about, if I could just say this in the most layman terms I know, it's not just about becoming straight, it's about becoming saved. 
Look, we believe that the gospel is power unto salvation, and when someone is entangled in sin, God, by his Holy Spirit, will bring that person to a greater and greater depth, love, appreciation for, and praise to the living God. But friends, we are not just trying to get someone to come out of an orientation. That certainly is part of it. Their greatest need, if the world were ending in five minutes, is not to become straight. Their greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, let me be clear. A byproduct of living a holy life is eventually, if that person truly knows Christ, they will walk in a way that honors God with their body. Maybe not perfectly, but friends, God will give them the strength. So trust in God's power to save. The good news for a gay man or a gay woman or child or teenager or whatever is the same news for a straight man, straight woman, child, teenager, or whatever. Homosexuality isn't the chief sin. Unbelief in the gospel is the chief sin, friends. The Lord died for all types of people and for all types of sinners. Remember this, the one thing, the big idea is this. If homosexuality is beyond the reach of the gospel we preach, then we have the wrong gospel. I hope I've been clear today. I hope I've done it compassionately. I hope I've done it steadfastly. Friends, we don't think this is all the answers to all the questions. There are some big questions that come up. Should I attend a wedding of a friend? Should I, be, uh, should I give gifts? Should I fill in those blanks? I hope this week to give you some good resources from uh, the uh, ERLC, uh, which is the um, Ethics, Reli- Ethics and Religious Life Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. They have some good stuff. Dr. Russell Moore does on these issues. Friends, if you have questions, we'll walk through it together. But I pray that you pray that most of all the gospel is uplifted in this church because when that is, friends, we're going to see a glorious Savior in light of all of our sin. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, as we talk about a very tough social topic, Lord, I, I realize we, there are many questions in minds, even in my own mind, of things that I could have said or thought of or addressed. But, Father, there's only so much time we have up here. But yet, Lord, as, as, as long as you would tarry, before your son comes, Father, may you give us great wisdom. Father, help us not to sacrifice the truth for love, but Father, in love, help us to share the truth, but also with love and patience and all humility. Father, I thank you that all of us here have once been saved from sin, Lord, and may that be the impetus by which we go through and share the gospel to anyone. Father, we pray for our church, Lord, not that we would be welcoming and affirming, denying the truth, but we would welcome this as a place where it's okay not to be okay. But, Father, at the same time, may we lovingly, boldly point to the cross and say it's all found in your Son, because it is. Father, he who has you has life. He who does not have you does not have life or life eternal. Help us have wisdom with that today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.